Hi, and welcome to Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Charity. Uh, welcome back or welcome for the new folks. Today when in the Bible, we're going to talk about different times that sarcasm was recorded. Um, I think it's important to be able to relate to what we're reading or to, to understand, but also like, you know, these are real people. And so we're going to talk about it in a historical context, but also just like, you know, these are people having real relationships and real hardships and, and all of those things that everybody has. Um, so we are going to, for historical context, we're going to talk about um, Elijah. And we're going to give you just kind of the time frame, kind of who he is. And we're going to actually also talk about one of his contemporaries, Micaiah. Um, and in these incidences, you'll see there's kind of these rubs and this sarcasm that goes on in some of these conversations. So um, Elijah served as a prophet to Israel um, and mostly to the kingdom of Israel. So at this time we have, this is after King David, quite a bit after King David. Um, Israel itself is on its eighth king, which is King Ahab, wicked, wicked dude, who his dad got into being a king by kind of, there was a whole like overthrowing of the monarch. And um, anyways, he ended up being installed. He's kind of a powerful military dude. Um, and Judah to the south, because Israel, the whole nation, um, split. And there was Judah, which is mostly um, Benjamin and Judah. And then the other uh, 10 tribes were in the kingdom of Israel. So there's kind of this sibling or this family split that had gone on during this time. Um, and they, which boils down to disobedience. A lot of these issues that we see going on at this time deal with disobedience, with rebelliousness. Um, the one thing that King Ahab did, though, is he married Jezebel, and she was a terrible, terrible lady. And as we know, the people that surround us in our lives, whether they be really good friends, uh, spouses, whomever it is, um, they can enhance our life and encourage us to do well, or they can tear us away from things that are good and encourage us to do destructive things. In this case, his wife... Uh, belonged to a foreign kingdom, and she worshipped um, Baal and Asherah, which are these two other gods. Um, they're almost a married pair, uh, a female version and a, and a male version. Um, both are very hedonistic religions, uh, religions without discipline. Um, they encourage a lot of uh, lasciviousness. Um, plain talk, basically, uh, lust, a lot of lust. And a lot of it is like, um, based on harvest and, and things like that, but it encourages you to do th things, um, without inhibition for a religious purpose. Um, but it's very con uh, contrasting to Israel's original foundation you know, they serve the one true God and he is the almighty God and they don't need many gods. They need the one true God. 
But Ahab was pulled away by his wife and encouraged all of these things to be set up. And it divided the hearts of the people and it turned them away from God. And this angered God. And during this stage in the kingdom, we have a lot of prophets. And um, there's a real contrast here because we have the true prophets of God versus um, these false prophets. And a lot of the false prophets um, would partake in other religions or muddle other religions in or serve another religion altogether. Um, and often these false prophets benefited. Like this is a real big key we see between real prophets and false prophets is that a lot of the false prophets would, you know, make money. And, and we've all seen people that will give good news and makes people feel good and makes them open their wallets. And that's kind of the way these guys were. And the, a lot of the real prophets will give hard messages. They, they don't just give good news. They give the truth. And the truth is kind of one of those things that uh, when you read it, it's enlightening and it's not always pleasant. But it is one of those things that just like when we have a relationship with God or we have voices that kind of, you know, these things in our heart that churn, we have to ask ourselves, is this a message or, or a voice that brings us closer or further to God? And even words of discipline bring us closer to God, um, even though they're not always comfortable. Um, the truth is very liberating. And you know, Elijah was one of these prophets that was brought to give a message, basically turn, repent, um, stop serving these other gods, right? And Israel, just like all people, has a hard time with a faithful heart. And as their leaders have led them into this um, terrible life, that's not good life or lifestyle, um, they've, they've followed their leaders. And so there finally ends up being this showdown, right? Jezebel is just a terrible, nasty lady. She really hates anything to do with God. I mean, just comes to destroy all of it. So we're going to talk about this showdown on Mount Carmel, right? And during this time, three years prior to this, God had Elijah announce that there was going to be a drought over the nation of Israel as kind of a, hey, you know, little punishment. Maybe you'll turn your heart. Maybe you'll come to me. Um, and so after three years, God calls Elijah kind of out of hiding and tells him to go and meet with King Ahab. Now, Ahab has been searching the last three years. He wants to get his hands on Elijah so bad. He like cannot stand this guy because like the whole thing is with truth is that it's painful and some people will face it and, and change and want to do better. And some people want to hide from it and kill it and destroy it. And Elijah is this mirror of truth that stands before Ahab. So as he's been looking for him, one day, Ahab and this guy, Obadiah, and Obadiah is a righteous dude, a really good guy, but he serves in the kingdom under Ahab. And basically, they're under such drought that Ahab says, let's go look for some water so we don't lose any livestock. 
because they're they're running out of water in the country. And so he says, you go that way and I'll go this way and we'll see what we find. Well, while he's out, Obadiah comes across Elijah because Elijah's heading in. And he all of a sudden falls to his knees at Elijah's feet. And he's like, oh my gosh, what have I done to be, you know, to, to be cursed like this? And Elijah had told him, he said, go get your, go get King Ahab. And he's like, no way. He's like, what have I done? You're going to get me killed. And he's like explaining to him. He's like, wasn't I a good guy? He's like, I took a hundred prophets and I hid them in two caves from Jezebel and I fed them and, and kept them there and hid them and kept them safe. Like, haven't I done good by God? Why are you going to have me killed? He's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, every time Ahab goes and looks for you, he goes to this country and that country. And every time he sees a king, he makes them swear that they haven't seen you. And he's like, now I've seen you. I'm going to go tell him. And when I come back, you're going to be gone. Just like all the other times. And Ahab's going to kill me. And he's like, I promise you, I'm going to be here. Like, don't worry about it. So he brings Ahab back. And what he does is he has them bring um, the people of Israel. And then Baal has 450 prophets. He tells them, round up your prophets and bring them up to Mount Carmel. And there's like 400 um, prophets of Asherah also. But in particular this day, there's an assault on the religion of Baal. And because it's been a drought, this is what he does. He brings them up to the mountain and he says, okay, I'll tell you what, today, Israel, and he does this in the audience for the audience benefit, but he says, today, you're going to decide who is really God, because God understands these people are, their hearts are torn and they've had bad leadership. So he's giving people a chance to turn. And he said, watch today. He said, we'll decide or who God really is. And we're going to serve who the real God is. If it's Baal, fine, it's Baal. But if it's our God, the one God, the true God, I am, then that's who we will serve and worship. And so he had them bring up two bulls and he had them build an altar. And he said, okay, build an altar, Baal. And this is the deal. I want you to sacrifice a bull to your God. The only thing is the God that answers with fire. Well, you cannot light your sacrifice on fire. Your God has to answer. And whichever one answers is the real God. And so these guys from Baal, they set up their altar and they put the bull on there and they start crying and screaming and yelling out and like doing all these things, trying to get uh, their God to answer, right? And these guys are all in support of Jezebel's uh, influence of her, her worship. And so as they're doing this, these guys, you know, are going first. And as they're crying and screaming, there's no answer. They're shouting even like until noontime. You know, and this is the morning that they started out, but there's no reply of any kind. Then they danced, they hobbled around, 
They did all of these things. And so finally, by afternoon, Elijah began mocking them. So see, here's the sarcasm. He's like, maybe you'll have to shout. And the version I'm reading, just so you know, this is the New Living Translation. There are lots of uh, excellent Bible versions to read. I think this is a great one for people that are like, just kind of getting the feel of the Bible. Um, but if you want to do like a word study and things like that, like Amplified is good and King James is good. Um, but this kind of gets you into the story. So it says at noontime, and this is in First Kings um, 18, and this part, this verse in particular is chapter 20 or verse 27. So it's about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself in the bathroom. <laughs> or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. I love this sarcasm. So they shout louder. All these guys start shouting louder, and which is their normal custom. And then they start cutting themselves and bleeding and they are screaming, all of these things until finally the evening. But there was still no sound, nothing, no response. It's still the, the sacrifice still lay there, dad. So then Elijah, he called all the people um, over to where he was going to have God answer. And he said, all right, all of you guys come over here. And he had them prepare an altar. And it's one that had been torn down. And so he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used them to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then not only that, after he built this altar, he then dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold, a, it says about three gallons, but it, to hold a bunch of water, which you have to remember at this time, we're in a drought. Ahab had sent Obadiah one way and him the other just to find water so their animals wouldn't die. So he has this huge trench built around the altar and he lays a bunch of wood on there and then he cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. And then Elijah filled four huge jars with water. So this is a huge sacrifice at this time. The water is, is so scarce and he's pouring it out over the altar and over the sacrifice, which from just a practical standpoint, obviously watered down or waterlogged wood does not light on fire, right? Um, and this is going to show that they serve the God of impossibilities, right? He is not going to light this, this thing on fire. God is going to answer with fire. And so much so that what he does is as they finish, um, after they pour the water on, he says, do the same thing again. So he had them pour it again. And now a third time. And then after the third time, the water ran down from the altar and it filled the trench. So that shows you how much water he's put over everything, right? And then after, at this usual time of sacrifice, it says, Elijah, he walked up to the altar and he prayed, Oh, Lord. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel 
and that I am your servant. Provide or prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh Lord, answer me so that these people will know you, oh Lord, are the God that you might have brought them back to yourself. Isn't that beautiful? He's like, this is a, a call for the people to come back. And it's not like, this isn't like, hey, I'm trying to do a magic trick to prove I'm awesome. But no, it's like, God, this is a wooing. Um, let them see that this is you calling them back, that God wanted their heart. And immediately it says, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and it burned up the young bull, the wood, even the stones, the dust, and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. I mean, this is pretty amazing, right? And so as this happened, as you know, this reignited the people's hearts as well, right? And he said, he cried out, he said, Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And then Elijah said, now seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape for the people. And then the people seized all of them and they took them down to the Kishon Valley and they killed him there. So now we've got one dude and they killed 450 prophets of Baal which is pretty darn impressive. Um, and if this isn't enough of the showdown, um, after this, Elijah tells Ahab, hey, why don't you go get something to eat and drink? Because I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So like here they are in a drought, right? And now God's about to change things for the people. He's called them. Their hearts are reignited for him. And now he's about to quench their thirst in a in a very practical and physical matter as well um showing even more so because baal is like this god that they serve that's for fertility but also for harvest for to provide rains and grains and all of these things right and so now like um, Elijah goes and prays and he, he sends his servant to go and look and see if there's a little if there's a cloud coming and he sends him back actual, actually several times. And once this cloud appears, it's this little tiny cloud that's like the shape of a man's hand, or the man's, it says a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And then Elijah shouted, hurry up to Ahab, tell him to climb into his chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Then Elijah girds up his loins like he's got this, you know, back then guys are wearing like more like togas or whatever, right? So he he grabs the bottom of his, what you would do is you'd grab the backside of your clothing. It's like a dress and you pull it up and tuck it in your waist. If any of you have seen like I Love Lucy's famous grape squashing episode, kind of like how she does with her skirt. And, and he does this and he outruns Ahab and his horses down this mountain. And of course, Ahab goes home and cries to Jezebel what happens. You know, he's like, he tells him everything that happens, including the way all the prophets were killed. And of course, this ticks off Jezebel, who promises to kill Elijah. But mostly what I'm pointing out here, though, is you see this sarcasm kind of going back to 27, we see this whole thing where he uses sarcasm to highlight 
the insignificance of this God that they're serving, this guy who just like has like no, well, not even a real guy, but this, this God they're serving, the nothingness of him to really highlight how um, powerful he is and the fact that he has not answered. And I love the fact that they're just telling him like, these guys are beating themselves up to try and get an answer. And here is like, he's telling them, oh, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a nap or he's on a vacation. You know, I, I love the, the sarcasm because it just highlights sometimes where the issues are. The next, hopefully you enjoy that. Hopefully you read it. That is in First Kings chapter 18. Um, there's, a, there's another predecessor or a, or a contemporary of, um, of Elijah around this time. His name is Micaiah. And I love this story because this is now kind of where God puts an end to Ahab. So Ahab enters into this alliance with Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat at the time is the king of Judah. So now we have both kingdoms kind of reuniting again, right? A little bit because there's a marriage. And so they're in each other's company and this kind of thing. And and this is where we see Micaiah's story take off. So the part where we find Micaiah is going to be in both 2 Chronicles 18 and 1 Kings 22. So these are like different books in the Bible, but where you, they'll overlay historically. So you, like, I always like it because it's like when you go to like a, if you were to read like a traffic accident report and you ask this witness, what did they see? And this witness, what did they see? There are overlapping parts of the story and there's different details in each one. So it's kind of cool if you want to read it. So with King Jehoshaphat, he has a son and King Ahab has a daughter and they have arranged an, a marriage between them. So that there's ends up kind of being this little bit of an alliance and Ahab is trying to butter up King Jehoshaphat so that they can go and take um, this land back from the uh, Arameans. And the area that they both, it's kind of between both of them, is called Ramoth, Ramoth Gilead. And basically he's kind of, you know, they're at a feast and he's buttering them up. And basically Ahab sell, tells Jehoshaphat, hey, you want to go with me? Um to get that to reclaim the land of of Ramoth Gilead, and and a or Jehoshaphat's kind of you know amenable to the idea. He sounds like yeah, that's that's generally a pretty good idea, but he's like, but first let's find out what God says, right? And so you have to think culturally. These guys come from a background; they know who their God is, right? Ahab's serving all these other gods, but. Jehoshaphat is talking about the God of Israel and the God, the one true God. And um, Ahab sends, he's like, he's like, sure. And so he sends for his prophets, right? And his prophets, if you remember, we talked about just a minute ago on Mount Carmel, that there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets that served Asherah, right? Well, after this story doing math, it reports in here that there were about 400 prophets. So 
Ahab sends for them and they're like, oh yes, go and take the land. You'll be, you know, victorious and all this stuff. Right. And there's this one guy, kind of the ringleader of the prophets, his name is Zedekiah. And he even made like some iron horns and he's in there proclaiming, this is what the Lord says. With these horns, you'll gore the Arameans to death and all this stuff. And, and King Jehoshaphat's like, this is all well and fine, but where's like a prophet that represents our God? Like where's, isn't, isn't there one of those? And you gotta love Ahab, such a baby. He pouts. And I think that's why him and Jezebel had such a great relationship because he would pout and she would make him happy and then she could go and do whatever she wanted, which she had lots of vile and detestable plans. And just to kind of remind you or set the scene for Micaiah, here's a guy with a spine of steel, a guy who says, I'm going to serve God before I serve man. And this is like in the face of serious adversity because Jezebel has set out to kill all of the prophets of Israel to stamp out every one of them, you know, basically trying to get rid of all of the evidence of their foundation and where they come from. So <laughs> after all of these going on, Jehoshaphat's like, you know, isn't that nice? And Ahab's like, well, there is one prophet, but he never has anything nice to say about me. He's such a pouty guy. And Jehoshaphat's like, that's no way for a king to talk. Go get him. So they send for him, right? And as they send for him, they're like, the the messenger that's bringing Micaiah in, he like kind of elbows him and says, look, everybody's promising victory to the king. Be sure you agree with them. Promise there's going to be success. And Micaiah like tells him, he's like, look, as surely as God lives, I'll only say what the Lord tells me to say. Like, basically, I'm not putting any words in God's mouth. And so when he arrived, um, basically, he shows up and the king asks him, hey, Micaiah, should we go to war against uh, Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? And Micaiah replies sarcastically. See, here's that sarcasm. (sighs) He's like, oh, yes, go up be victorious. The Lord will surely give the king this victory. (laughs) But Ahab responds to him. He's like, how many times do I have have to tell you, you know, that you speak only the truth to me when you're speaking for God? (laughs) So Micaiah tells them like there was this vision that he had and basically God was going to take Ahab down. Like he saw like all the people of Israel scattered like sheep without a shepherd, without, you know, a leader. And that basically God was going to take down the King of Israel. And there were, there was like this kind of meeting in heaven and God's like, how should I do it? How should I entice him into this fight that'll kill him? And basically this one spirit says that he'll put a lying spirit in Ahab's uh, prophets' mouths. And this, of course, really ticks off the audience because it's full of all of Ahab's prophets, these prophets of Asherah. And Zedekiah in particular, this guy that just had the horns on and is like, you're going to gore the, the Armeans to death and all this stuff. He comes up to Micaiah and he slaps him in the face and basically said, when did the spirit of God leave my mouth and go to yours? 
them's is fighting words, right? But Micaiah doesn't shrink back. He points right back at him and he says, you're going to soon out. You're going to find out soon enough when you're hiding in a secret room, like basically when you're hiding for your life. And so, of course, you know, King Ahab is all pouty and mad. And he's like, see, what did I tell you? This guy never has anything nice to say to me. And he demands that Micaiah be arrested and taken um, back to, to Ammon, which is like the governor where his son lives in the city where his son lives. And basically don't give him anything but bread and water until I get back. And Micaiah again, again, the zinger just, oh, he's like, if you return safely, it'll mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. I love that. If you return safely, like I'd have a big comma there. It does have a comma in the Bible, but I'd have like a very pregnant pause. It says, it'll mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he added to everyone standing around. He's like, mark my words. Um, and it was really important then. Anybody to be called a prophet, what they said had to be proven. I mean, we see that with the time of Samuel when he gets installed. Because um, that proves that what they're saying is true. They're really listening to, to God and that God's really giving messages to the people. And there were both short-term and long-term things that were proven. And essentially, he's kind of, he's, he's throwing down the gauntlet and saying to Zedekiah, like, you're a liar, dude. And so King Ahab goes anyways into battle with um, Jehoshaphat. And, and when this happens, you know, because he knows he's, he's been told he's going to die, he starts to get a little, little nervous and he dresses somebody up in his robes, right? So when they show up to battle, um, the, the king um, of the opposing forces of uh, Gilead, he basically tells them, he's like, hey, look, we don't need to go to battle with them. Just like kind of seize the king. And as long as we have him, we won't attack. So a few of the chariots start chasing down the guy in the robes, right? But then all of a sudden they hear orders coming from the middle of the crowd where Ahab has disguised himself as a regular dude. Well, during this time when stuff has gone on, um, a soldier from Ramad Gilead like like just kind of looses a, an arrow, just whoop, a random arrow goes into the air. And um, it actually shoots Ahab like right between the joints of his armor and he's dying. And he's like, take me out of the battlefield, take me out, take me out. And so no battle really happens and all the people kind of scatter and he, he dies and they end up taking him. And there was a prophecy about like how like before, how like um, the dogs would lick up his blood and stuff like that. Well, he gets taken, they take his chariot to this like pool where all these prostitutes um, wash up and they wash out his chariot there and the dogs like lick up the blood, thus fulfilling the prophecy that God had given over his, his demise. But um, so you see here where the sarcasm, like the sharpness is pretty intense and, and just kind of giving you like, hopefully this gives you a view on, on the people in the Bible, you know, these battles that they had and these different relationships and rubs and the emotions and stuff that they have to be dealing with. And hopefully it gives you kind of a, his, a historic view 
as to what these guys were up against. These prophets in the kingdom after David, after kind of the split of the kingdom of Israel, um, you see like there's a real struggle with kings leading their people to serve God and to give their hearts over to God and um, versus serving kind of really themselves and their own um, licentiousness and their own lusts um, and versus the people, the small remnant, these people that still love God and want to serve him and this steel spine that God gives them to be able to speak the truth and to stand up for it in the face of adversity. Um, I very much admire these guys. Um, I don't know if I would be able to do it. I hope I could. I think we all, you know, look at that and go, I hope that in a moment of testing, I'd be able to do it. But I think also if we love people, and compassionately love people, we're going to tell them the truth. And we should want to conform ourselves toward God, even if it's uncomfortable. And I think, I think that's like the thing I take away from the Bible. There are all these people that it gives me hope that maybe I could do that. Maybe I could shape myself in a way that, that God is. There's a, a guy I listen to, um, I like very much. And he talks about shaping the scoliosis of our soul um, to the brace of, of God's word, basically to conform our bent ways um, to God's way that we would be more in his image. And even through these things, these hard things that we see, um, we recognize maybe where there's sin or brokenness. And, and you can't even begin to get past any of that if you can't see it or recognize it. So hopefully this makes the, the word more um, inspiring. Um, hopefully you'll want to get into it and read it and it'll make you search it out more. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this, this um, episode and we'll talk about like more like for whatever reason, I'm just really drawn to like the old prophets as of late. So we'll talk about it and the history and um, maybe it'll be interesting to you and hopefully it'll help you get into some of these lesser known parts of the Bible because these are like where our foundation comes from. These different things in the Old Testament that people don't seem to read as much, it's part of the foundation of where we come from. And it also shows like our humanity. You see, there are times in me where I just, you know, I can identify with the fact that I want to serve my own self and my own either laziness or wanting to be comfortable or whatever it is um, more than God. And that hopefully it will, it, it does, it does encourage me, but hopefully it encourages others also to want to seek God out and who he is and find that relationship with him and have that closeness with him. Anyways, um, I hope you have a great day. It's been a, I've enjoyed visiting with you.